Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. We remember the covenant and we stand in that covenant, but here was Gideon threshing wheat and hiding it under the wine press. Had enough for me and mine and my family and nobody else. Don't let my vision get bigger than just me. And God divinely interrupted him one day and shows up and says, Hey, mighty man of valor. He'd be like, who are you talking to? Maybe you need to go see JL <laughs> or Shamgar because that dude took an ox goat and killed 600 Philistines. He opened the highway. Because one day he got tired of taking the byways and the sideways, and he said, this is my road. I said, this is my road. I said, this is my road. I'm tired of the sidetrack. I'm tired of dodging the sideways. I'm tired of going through the brush. I'm tired of the briars. I'm tired of, come on, somebody, avoiding what I've been called to do. Come on, touch your neighbor. Say, this is my road. And I'm going to take my road today. I'm taking the highway. And if I take the highway, woe be to anything that gets in my way that's an obstacle to the purpose of God. And then God shows up to Gideon and says, hey, mighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. And Gideon says this, who are you talking to? Or at least I'm thinking that's his thought because he had to, he did, he, it took a couple fleeces for him to really believe God said what he said he could do. Because what God does is he calls what he sees, not what you see. Some of the most powerful people in the world are in this room this morning. I'm going to say it to you again from Abba. Some of the most powerful people in the world are in this room. You're carrying something. Same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Not another one. Same one. Dwells in you. What's our problem? We don't believe what God said about us. So we're waiting on somebody else because I'm the least of my father's house. If I, if I told you the history of our family and what God has done through our lives, it would probably amaze you, and I'm sure many of you have stories like that. But how God could take a family of seven kids, mom and a dad, who lived on the hill that were so poor, we hardly knew where the next dollar was coming from. Thank God we could raise a little bit of food because we lived on a farm. And literally raised that family to touch the world is a story beyond anything that, that passes my understanding. People come to, in September as our conference, people will come there from all over the world. And what I'm simply saying is that we think of ourselves as the least of the least of the least. And we've been made to believe that's humility. And then here's what Gideon says to God. He said, go in this thy might, and the Lord will save Israel by your hand. And here's what Gideon says. If the Lord is with us, 
Where be all his miracles that our fathers told us of? That's the question. That's the elephant in the room. If God is with us, where are all the miracles? And God said to Gideon, you're going to go as one man. And you're going to defeat the Midianites. I believe the issue is God is calling the church not to just individualism, but to unity. Not, not unity for the sake of unity, but unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Not, not just, are you tracking with me here a little bit? Because we are so divided right now everywhere. Not just in the church, but it's like we fall out over genres. I made a post yesterday about genres in Jesus. Because we nitpick so bad we can't enjoy a service because if somebody sings one phrase we don't like in a song. Come on. On Facebook, come on, you post something and everybody's got a view that's different. They're going to fight. First thing you know, we just divided and fought. We just, are you all tracking with me? See, and I believe that's nothing but a trick of the enemy to divide us and conquer. But God said, you're going to do it as one man. And what you're going to do, he said, Gideon, I'm going to call you to take this thing and you're going to take this thing and defeat the Midianites. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to send a revival. And what this revival is going to do is it's going to, first of all, let 30,000 people leave your church. This ain't going to preach good. Tell all the mamas, boys, and the cowards to go home with 20-some people, 20-some thousand people left. People are leaving the church by the droves. Some, some of them got legitimate gripes. I don't misunderstand. Listen, I'm telling you, there's got to be a reformation. I don't know how much time I got to develop some of this this morning, but I, I, I feel like the Lord is saying something to us. And what happens is, is that, 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 that people have left the church, but I think what's happening is that God began to reduce it down. By the time this guy goes against the Midianites, he's down to 300. Now, that don't mean the rest of the world's going to hell in a handbasket. That just means God is looking for the people who really want to see God do something. And sometimes that's the Wednesday night crowd. Sometimes that's the ones that come out, come on, that's not just doing it out of duty. That's the ones that come out. The Bible said, he said, when you bring them down to the water, where I'm going to separate them at is at the water. How many of the water speaks of the Spirit? The wheat and the wine speak of the new covenant. But he said, what I'm going to do is I want you to find those who can drink water from their hand. I want you to find a company of people who can drink from the hand of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And those that lap water like a dog, tell them going home. And then I want you to take those 300 people without a Scud missile or a nuclear bomb. I want you to tell them to get a, a, a pitcher, put a candle inside of it, and a trumpet in their hands. Now, if I could go with 300. Now, see, when he first called him, he's like, mighty man of valor. But by the time you're willing to take 300 people against a full army, Without any weapons, you a bad dude in my opinion. 
Come on, somebody. You ready to say, jump on my chest and wrinkle my vest. Because what they did, then he went down, and God told him, go down into the enemy's camp and listen to what they're saying. What's the enemy saying? I saw Gideon like a loaf of bread rolling down the hill. And it rolled down the hill and completely obliterated the tents of Midian. And I heard the Holy Spirit and said, and we being many are one bread. And you're going to smite Midian as one man. And when they blew the trumpet, they blew the, a trumpet is a ram's horn. A ram's horn comes from the death of a male lamb. When you hear a message coming through the finished work of Jesus Christ, it will crack the earthen vessel and the light that's in the candle is going to come forth. And the enemy is going, the enemy knows more about what God wants to do sometimes than the church does. Even in at the taking of Jericho, we heard about you when you crossed the Red Sea. They knew they were defeated 40 years before the Israelites knew it. What? Somebody come on with me. Maybe, maybe we're preaching too much on the devil instead of what God is doing. Maybe we need to magnify the Lord. Hallelujah. Last but not least, where all of this came from, let me just say this, and I'm going to try to get out your road this morning. I was on the phone with a bishop from Georgia, and the Lord had put him on my heart this one morning. I didn't know he was going through some physical problems, and we got on the phone, and we were talking, and we were talking about the miraculous and the hunger for the demonstration of the power of God. And I said to him, he's a little older than I am. I said, you know what worries me is that there's a generation among us that's never seen the power of Pentecost like we saw it. I don't know exactly what all the problems are with all this. I think some of it is we've got a whole lot of knowledge about stuff, but we don't know the author of the book. And, you know, we, uh, we were talking in the office, and I think what we need is not just preachers, but people who have a real, not, not, not just a surface experience, but a real encounter with the living God. He wants to talk to you. Let me say that. Abba wants to talk to you. He wants you to encounter his presence. He wants you to feel his presence. He wants you to demonstrate his power, not just glow-in-the-dark preachers, ordinary people. If you got a nail, use the nail. If you got a boat, use the boat. If you're sham garden, you got an ox goat, use the ox goat. But last but not least, when I got off of the phone with that bishop, the Lord said to me, just as clearly as I'm standing here, he said, send him back a message and tell him Samson's hair is starting to grow. Now, I'm saying that prophetically over not only this church, but over, I believe, what God wants to do in the church right now. Samson's hair is starting to grow. I said, God, what are you saying? He said, there's a return to covenant. Because the secret of the power and the secret of the demonstration is a return to the right covenant. And all of these judges, every one of them has something in it that points us back to that new covenant reality. And ultimately, the dawning of the kingdom that happens in the book of Kings. And so I said, Lord, what are you saying? He said that there is a, hair, Samson's hair is growing. 
And as I contemplated that, I could literally feel the anointing flow over me as I started to say that. And the Lord said, Samson's hair is growing. I said, Lord, what are you saying to me? He said, many have laid their heads in the lap of a harlot system. And they've sold their gifts and anointings. Come on, somebody. Until they've lost their vision and the religious world has poked their eyes out. Until we've got to the point where we are a laughing stock and they brought us into captivity and mocked the church in what used to be deemed as at least holy and respectable, the tide has turned that if you watch anything on television, if it show anything concerning Christianity or godliness, it's always some bigot or some, you know, uh, they try to make you out to be an idiot if you're a believer. Try, try to shape the thinking. Are you all tracking with me? And, and try to shape the thinking of people to turn the tide on what was good is now evil and what was evil is now good. Am I talking to you all in the room? Come on. But somewhere I believe that there's a stir. And what I'm seeing is not just here but all over the nation leaders that really have a true heart for God who are tired of the system, come on, of a harlot that makes you moan and groan for an hour and a half because the money's on the table when you leave. That's a harlot. But real men and women of God are going to get up and preach the gospel and say, listen, man, I am not selling my anointing. I am not going to market. This is not a meat market parade of flesh. My anointing is not for sale. I am not a prophet for hire. I am not your hired gun. Come on, somebody. I'm not going to, listen, I'm not going to modify or manipulate my message just because it makes the crowd get bigger and we thrill the crowd. Because what we've done is we've replaced anointing with talent. And can I tell you that that mentally challenged boy that stood on the stage named David, well named, although he didn't have the best voice of the choir, he had more anointing in his little finger than most of the people that had a good entertainment style. Because I have been in places where it was so regimented that they had earbuds in their ear set and, and, and 30 seconds were going to mic two. And 40 seconds were going to do this. In other words, it was so regimented, it was just like, and I understand if you're putting on a show. But if the Holy Ghost would show up, maybe God is raising up some Samsons that are tired of a harlot system. And they're saying, take me to the pillars. I, I've almost lost my vision and I'm tired of being made sport of and I'm tired of the church being mocked and made fun of and I am tired and I want you to solve it. Listen, Samson says, listen, if you can solve a three-day riddle, I'm going to tell you the secret of my power and the three-day riddle is there is sweetness in the eater and we are still trying to solve that riddle but let me tell you that that three-day riddle is the three days and three nights of the person and work of Jesus. Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the riddle was because a dead lion had honey in the carcass of it. And the riddle was simply solved with this. The death of a king has produced promised land stuff. And if you reach into the death of Christ and in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will shake yourself and your hair will come back. You'll return to the right covenant. Come on, somebody. And you'll shake the system. 
And at the shaking of the system, Samson dies. The whole system fades off of the scene. Because sometimes we got to be willing to die. Now I'm not talking about I'm not talking about in the sense we used to think, but sometimes we got to be willing to put everything we thought was our anointing, my reputation, who you think I am, my star power, my celebrity status, and put it on the altar and say, "I'm willing to sacrifice." Come on, who I am, so you can see who He is. Come on, stand on your feet all over this room this morning. Hallelujah. I hope that doesn't come off condemning this morning. Because I don't mean it in a condemning way, but I think there's sometimes got to be a challenge. Because God stepped out of the famous and started getting the Ehuds and the JLs, the Debras, the Shamgars. The Jephthahs, whose mother was a harlot. Talk about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I, I could challenge you by saying, what's your excuse today? I mean, look at, their, look at their backgrounds. Look at the backgrounds of the people God used in the Scripture. Broken people that God took and did something with it. Tell you something, God loves broken people because broken people is all there is. Are y'all tracking with me this morning? Hallelujah. I was listening to, I mean, you may, you may think me unreligious here, but I watched a documentary on, on Hulu recently on this, this country music singer. I hope, I, I, I guess it'd be hard to say his name, but, uh, you may or may not know who it is, but he's pretty pretty new right now called Jelly Roll. Powerful documentary, and I just sat there and wept. I heard the guy's song passing one day on the radio. It's called Somebody Save Me. And they showed in this documentary he was doing a concert. This guy came from a background of substance abuse, and, and really you can hear in his voice, I mean, he talks a little bit about having come through some religious abuse. And I, could, I really wish I could get to this guy because I really think I could help him who was pushed away probably by legalism, didn't think he was good enough. But he wrote a song called Somebody Save Me. And if you see this auditorium, he's singing to all these people who are going through the same kind of brokenness. And they're all tears running down their faces because this guy had done time in prison and his wife, they don't even, they're so authentic that it's almost brutal. His wife was a, a, a uh, I think a, a sex worker in Vegas, and she doesn't make any bones about that. But they, in other words, they, he's, he's tattooed up. And, and, and as I watched this, I thought to myself, this right here is the groan of creation. Somebody save me. Come on, somebody. Somebody save me. Save me from myself. And he's talking about the lifestyle. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm sitting there, here's the church world trying to test the waters of freedom to see what we can get by with. And they're leaving that for addiction. While people in addiction are trying to say, I need to get out of this and get into that. But can I tell you, 
Both of those are the extremes of religion is empty when it has no relationship with Abba. And when it becomes about rules instead of about relationship, then, then, then come on, the first thing you know is I'm disqualified, I'm not good enough, I'm not holy enough, I don't glow in the dark, I've got this, I've struggled with that, I've got that, the other thing. Come on, somebody. And we can't even be authentic with each other. That's why we can't hardly have fellowship is because we're afraid somebody's going to find out I'm human. And at the same time, the world is screaming, somebody save me. And he's not talking about save me from God. He's saying save me from myself. This lifestyle I'm living is killing me. And I'm broken beyond repair thinking. That's what the song says. I'm broken beyond repair. Don't waste your time on me. And I started to weep and I heard this song because I thought, my Lord, this is the, this is the cry of creation. Somebody save me. Save me from myself. I'm so broken. I'm helpless beyond repair. And into that mix needs to be an introduction of a Jesus who says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest because I want to take ordinary people and let them do extraordinary things. Because I want to tell them, you're a mighty man of valor and I think God might use people like that more than he does sometimes religious dudes. Hallelujah. I don't know how to end a service like this, Pastor Gavin. Hallelujah. The only thing I can say is, you know what? I feel like this morning we need to just say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. I, I, I'm going to open these altars. I mean, you might be here and saying, Lord, somebody save me. I'm broken beyond repair. But he, see, I'm going to tell you, he can fix you. There's no brokenness beyond his help. Hallelujah. And I think the other side of the coin is, Lord, here am I. Maybe I felt like this morning I'm ordinary too. But for the first time, I think maybe God can use me. Well, I'm just a baseball player. I'm a soccer player. I'm a football. Maybe that's what your mission field is. Hallelujah. My mom and dad poured into their kids. Their kids are touching the world. My dad and mom did too to some degree, but their kids are literally touching the world. Hallelujah. Because God stepped into the life of a family who was notorious for alcoholism and substance abuse and crime in our city and turned it around to be the very family that would help that city. Hallelujah. That's my story. Hallelujah. So this morning all over this place, let's offer ourselves to God and say, here I am, Lord. I know it's 12 o'clock, and if you need to slip out, I get that. And I'm almost finished here this morning, but you say, Lord, here am I. I might be a Gideon, a JL, I might be a Ehud, I might be a Tola, I might be a Jephthah, I might be a Samson. You might be a person who has failed. You might be a ministry who had a moral failure. I came here to tell you, Samson's hair is growing back. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
I said, Samson's hair is growing back. Hallelujah. God has not changed his mind. Hallelujah. Reach over, get somebody by the hand right there where you're standing. Father, in the name of Jesus. We offer ourselves this morning as living sacrifices. We say today as we leave here, we're going to sing a new song. We're going to sing the song of redemption. We're going to sing the song of Zion. We're going to sing aloud from our beds. We're going to carry a two-edged sword that's not condemning, but life-giving and powerful. Hallelujah. And we're going to carry the presence and the mandate of the king who is not ready to evacuate, but to occupy. Hallelujah. So raise up judges, saints, have this honor, the honor to execute the judgment written, the honor that is in our favor, the honor that binds principalities and powers and their nobles with fetters of iron and chains so that substance abuse has no hold any longer. Lord, I break the power of addiction this morning even in this room, people that may be struggling with addiction of whatever sort it might be. We pray the power of God to break that addiction. Lord, I pray that you will break principalities and powers and nobles and bind those thought processes with the chains of truth that don't allow for anxiety attacks and depression, and spirits of fear. I feel like specifically this morning, the Lord is delivering from a spirit of fear. I feel like the Lord is delivering from panic attacks where the moment you feel like you've had some kind of a thing going on in your body, you think you're dying. In the name of Jesus, I think that spirit of fear was released during COVID. I break it right now in the name of Jesus. I bind that spirit of fear, that spirit of fear of death. Come on, somebody. Get, come on, let's get in agreement today. I break the power of that thing that separated families and divisions over fear instead of faith. Lord, that hallelujah, a new hallelujah, encourage. We bind that king with chains today. Lord, I pray for, we've already prayed for healing all over this room today, but for healing, for physical manifestations. And Lord, we say you are welcome in this place and in our lives. Manifest yourself through us, even as we leave this building today, in Jesus' name. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled, The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. 
When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.